Michael Gormley, who we all call Gomer, and he is <laughs> unable to make it, and it's killing him right now. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he went through a really bad breakup with with his now wife back in uh, 2006. Oh, and yeah. And he dived into irresistible a revolution, and it like was his sanity for a oh, bit. So. Wow. Well, send him my love. Okay, cool, man. Well, I'm honored to be one of your guests. It's great. Thank you very much. I am, I am so thrilled to have you on here because I feel like the church is in a really cool point where you have all this cool stuff happening within the, the Catholic Church here in here in America, and you've always had great stuff happening with in the Protestant church, but there has been a lot of overlap. And I think right now, there's starting to be some overlap. Have you seen that at all? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so are we going now? Mm. Are we, we on oh, the yeah. End? Yeah. I, I'm so sorry about that. Um, yeah. We just kind of like talk about stuff. So there's no real agenda. <laughs> there's no like, we just find interesting people and just kind of go. Okay. Well, let's go then. Yeah, man. I'm, I mean, I, I see all kinds of great stuff happening. It's, uh, it's kind of like Jesus is the, the, the wheat and the weeds, you know, it's all growing together. So there's, there's, uh, uh, certainly some, some, uh, wild stuff growing, but there, there's so many beautiful things. And I, I think that, uh, um, uh, among other things, the Pope's really brought a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. things together, you know, cause he's, he's, uh, uh, such a wonderful model of Christianity th- uh, to the world. And uh, so, you know, plus he came to visit Philly. You got to yeah. love that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you're, so I would bet probably maybe 25% of all of our listeners actually know who you are. So could you give like a brief rundown of just like what you do and stuff? Yeah, I, I'd say I don't know many of them either, so that's pretty fair. Uh, well, I grew up in Tennessee. I'm a Tennessee, you know, kid. Grew up in the Bible Belt, uh, uh, pretty much in the heart of evangelicalism down there. You know, I fell in love with Jesus, mm-hmm. and but I also became pretty disenchanted with a lot of the things I saw in the church. You know, a lot of contradictions that I saw in the Protestant church in particular at the time, um, where. Uh, you know, over and over, we see that um, evangelicals don't always resemble Christ really well, you know, like uh, some of our ways that that gets reflected into the world. So uh, the Barna Research Group went uh, around the country and they asked young non-Christians, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? And the number one answer was anti-gay, anti-homosexual. Oh, wow. Yeah. Number- Number two was judgmental, and number three was hypocritical, you know. So I, I began to see some of that, but I never really gave, gave up on Jesus. I was fascinated by Jesus. I just kind of like Gandhi. I wish the Christians took him more seriously, you know. <laughs> so yeah. I really yeah. wanted, to, I wanted to go after that. So I studied, uh, I came up to Philly, uh, like back in the, the 1900s, uh, like in 1993, <laughs> I went to Eastern University. It's a great school outside of Philly, and I studied sociology, um, with my, my friend Tony Campolo there and, and other great professors. And, uh, and I, I connected Jesus to the world that we live in. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like how Karl Barth says, we got to read the Bible in one hand, but we need to read the newspaper in the other, you know, or, or I guess your Twitter feed or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, but we need to connect, seriously. like, we need to connect the gospel to the world we live in. Uh, so we've been at that for the last 20 years or so. And, and our community in Philly is called The Simple Way. 
Um, and it started uh, really with a group of homeless women, very courageous homeless moms and their kids that were living, uh, sadly and ironically, they were living in an abandoned Catholic church building. And wow. um, this was in 1995, and they were being evicted. Uh, the the yeah. archdiocese had given them a 48-hour uh, eviction notice. You know, if they weren't out, they could be arrested for trespassing on oh, church wow. property. Yeah. You know, so the the families they they were just incredible because they refused to be invisible, and they didn't really have any other uh, options. So they they hung a banner on the front of the cathedral that said, "How can we worship a homeless man on Sunday?" And ignore one on Monday. Yeah, that's a. Uh, so that that was the the spark that lit the fire for us. We moved into this neighborhood, uh, not far from the old cathedral. In fact, that's that's where my wife and I got married a few years ago. You know, we we've lived in this neighborhood uh, for about uh, twenty years now. We've been working around here, so it's it's a good time most days. That is what I like about you. From so I so I um I first heard about you and all and all. Over listeners are going to hate that I, that um, I am going into the show again. But I first heard you on the Bad Christian podcast. Yes, and what blew me away was you. It was so obvious that you actually lived what you talked about. Like it's like you weren't like wishing that you were doing all this stuff. You like you were like fully engaged in it. And that's I feel like that's kind of rare. I, at least from, because like, I feel like I'm such a, like, I always kind of feel like I'm a fraud. Like, I'm, I want to help out the poor, but I'm like, but I also want like Netflix. So, you know, and how, and you, I don't know, like, how do you, like, what, I, I guess sometimes like, well, how are you different? Because it's just so interesting to me how, how you live like such a radical life. And it seems so. It seems so scary to me. Well, I mean, you know, I think part of it is it's easy to sound radical on a podcast. <laughs> but if it's true. You know, I think sometimes people have an idea of what we do that uh, might be different from what it is. I mean, there, there are some things that, uh, you know, are tricky about the neighborhood we live in. But what we're doing is like not really that radical. I mean, we're, we're uh, doing what Dorothy Day and the Catholic workers have done for mm-hmm. you know decades and decades. We're you know, opening our door to folks who are homeless. We're sharing food with each other. We're, you know, protesting unjust laws. We're, we're kind of doing what I think Christians have done over the centuries in a lot of ways. Uh, and in some ways, like the only reason that what we're doing looks radical is because of how far we've come from, uh, I, I think, really integrated lifestyle Christianity, you know. Uh, and I, like some of my inspirations have been people like Mother Teresa and others who, are trying to embody that love, you know. So um, we're figuring that out. But but uh, you know the big the big uh, quest is that our hypocrisies, our contradictions, would be a little less tomorrow than they are today, you know. And we'd get a little bit closer to that. Um, and community is a big part of that because I, I think some of us live uh, like such individualistic lives that part of what community has done is radicalized me, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you end up becoming more generous when you hang out with generous people you become more courageous when you hang out with courageous people you know so you know i've been to iraq and afghanistan with different peace delegations and things like that but all those things i did because there was a sort of a critical mass of uh prophetic peer pressure you might say you know kind of pushing that direction and 
so uh, I, I'm I'm really grateful for my community, and I'm I'm grateful to Jesus. You know, I, like there's there's no one more more radical than Jesus. Um, and w- one of my friends, uh, Elizabeth Kennedy, I think it was, she uh, was writing an article about the Pope and everybody's fascination with the Pope, and uh, the article uh, said in it, if you like Pope Francis then you'll really like Jesus. <laughs> because part of what's so remarkable about Pope Francis is that what he's doing is remarkable at all. You know, I mean, he's doing what mm-hmm. Pope should be doing. Uh, but it is remarkable, you know, when we see someone living faithfully, because what we've done is we've divorced um, our faith as a doctrine and, you know, belief system from our lifestyle, you know, so it doesn't always translate into authentic, you know, faithful living. But you know, in the early church and in the life of Jesus and in so many, you know, monastic renewals, of course, the Franciscans, you know, who uh, the Pope's namesake, uh, mm-hmm. like St. Francis. And these folks have really inspired us to, to integrate the things that we believe into a lifestyle so that Christianity isn't just a set of beliefs, but it translates into a way of living, you know. And, and at the end of the day, it's what Jesus said, you know, they'll know that we're Christians, uh, not by our doctrinal statements or by our T-shirts or bumper stickers, but by the way that we love. Yeah, I, you know, I had this really, I, I don't want to say it was a p- profound experience, but it was a challenging one. It was probably about two weeks ago. Me, I was so, I work, um, I'm, this is so crazy. I am not allowed uh, to say who I work for on the podcast. So I'm going to have, I'll just have my buddy edit it out, but I work over the. Okay. And it's very. Now there's a now we have a great archbishop. We we're doing there's so much awesome and great stuff happening there, but it can be pretty bureaucratic and it can really bog you down. And I, and I came home uh, for lunch and I was uh, and I was chatting about it with my wife and I was just like, like oh my gosh, this is cr- like this is just nuts. This is nuts. Like why do we even care about Jesus at all, or is it just more about wanting to? be spiritual and like feel good about ourselves and like, do we care? And, and we started and we just, you know, so like, and I have an amazing wife and she kind of like, um, and she basically went into this thing about how it's, you know, it's about encountering a person. And when I went back to work, I felt, so we, we have this gorgeous church right by our office. And I just kind of felt the urge to go and pray a rosary. And I did. And I met this homeless man who just was, he was just had all these tears in his eyes and he goes help me i don't know where i'm going to stay tonight mm-hmm. and i was like um do i invite you in my house like I, i'm honestly that's where my head went like okay we have an extra bedroom should i take this man home with me like like god what do i do and so i said okay i'm gonna help you first let me just pray with you a bit that was more to kind of clear my head and just like think about like oh, what to do Sure. And so I could tell he was just like really hungry and he was thirsty. So I said, let me go buy you uh, some food and stuff. And my wife had my, uh, she um, had my ATM card. And so, and, and I didn't have my credit card on me. And so I was like, well, I just have some cash. And I went and got him what we had in our office, got him, got him a water when I, so I, for the first got him the water and then went and then I went and I got him food, and when I, and when I came back, this was probably like five or ten minutes. The water was completely gone, and he was just like passed out. And I could tell he wasn't really Reese. And 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 we keep this and we keep this church open so homeless people can go in the day, have it like have a safe and 
and have a warm place to hang out. Yeah, it's great. Also, yeah, it's it's really really cool. And uh, they also it, also it's a place for, for people who are like in businesses to come and if they want if they you know oh want to pray or anything like that. And uh, and I was really like challenged because I and I like you know called this homeless shelter trying to find him a, a place. A t- a, like a place where he could where he could stay, and because he just seemed like I don't know if he had took some a type of drug, well, but he was just not like he was just out of it and was not responding at all. And I was like, I was so determined to do anything I to do anything that I, I could, and, and what kind of hurt was I wanted this like happy ending, and there like wasn't one. He was just passed out. I had to go back to work and I was like I don't know like how do I handle that and so this is I don't really like have a question for this it's more just well I guess if I do it would be like when you immerse yourself with all that how do you not get hopeless or downtrodden when when it doesn't work out well first of all it's great to take risks and you know you're gonna you're gonna be disappointed you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna uh, think you know the, the, the like I look at the Gospels and uh, thank God like the story of Jesus isn't all filled with happy endings. I mean you yeah. know like look at Judas. Judas like betrayed Jesus and you know killed himself and and I'm so glad that Judas isn't uh, the only uh, way that we can evaluate Jesus. You know like like there's mm-hmm. lots of other good stories, but that yeah. was a that was a really hard one. You know you look at uh, um the rich, the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and, you know, has uh, asked about entering the kingdom and walks away because he has great riches with his head down, you know? And so I, I think like these stories, no matter whether it's a homeless person or a rich young ruler, I mean, the stories don't always uh, end well, but I think what we do is we continue to extend love and grace, you know, and we continue, if we don't have a few stories that, uh, of someone stealing something from our building or something or from our, you know, like, like we're probably not taking enough risks, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah sure. there's a place for wisdom. There's a place for, for learning. But, um, yeah, sometimes we, we don't even take those risks. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what we do is we end up hiding behind our schedules and the predictability of our routines and daytimers. And yet you look at the Gospels and half the Gospels are stories of interruptions. You know, Jesus was on his way somewhere and someone pulled on his shirt, you know, or they said, hey, we're my, my son's sick. Can you come to my house? Or, hey, we just ran out of wine at our wedding. Can you help a brother out? You know, so he's, he's kind of mm-hmm. like, being, so I think we've got to be present and, uh, and what we can do is we can always give love. You know, we can always uh, uh, give water or, you know, instead of just feeding someone and leaving, we can eat eat together, you know, grab a pizza together and, yeah. and, and chill out. And so I think it's like not always about what we give. But Mother Teresa had a great line. She said, it's not how much you do, but how much love you put into doing it. Because you can give a homeless person f- 50 bucks and not have any love in it. You know, you can give them, a, pop them, you know, a $20 bill just to get them off your back. But I think, like, the call is to do something with love in it. And so, you know, uh, spending some time together and 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 uh, being available for, for uh, other people is, is kind of what we're here for, you know. So, uh, and, and certainly Dorothy Day, you know, she said if every Christian uh, would just make room for the stranger, we would end homelessness overnight. You know, if every Christian family would take in a foster care, care, you know, kid, yeah. uh, we, we would, we would end the system overnight. So I, I think that 
that call to take personal responsibility for those who are suffering uh, is is upon us all, you know, and it's it's a beautiful invitation. Like I I don't do what we do out of guilt. I do it because it's it's kind of what we're made for, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's w- so one of the things that I always hear about when um, I do work within uh, the church is you hear like at times we get accused of uh, too much of an emphasis on personal piety and not enough on things like social justice. Um, do you think like, and, and you know, I always tend to take the idea that it starts with, uh, with a relationship with, um, with God and then let everything else come out of that. Am I off base with that? Do you think, I mean, I, that's kind of like a heavy question to ask, but I couldn't think of like a better person. I'd ask that too. <laughs> well, so, I, yeah, for sure. I think that that uh, that's that sounds like a uh, uh, incredibly biblical idea. You know, is that this isn't about how good we are; it's how good God is. But we get to share that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that love with the world. And um, I, I like how there's a there's a great woman named Jackie Pollinger, and I, I heard her say one time that uh, our you know there's all this debate about faith and works, and this you know like. Uh, endless division in church history of, of like, is it about faith or works, you know? And mm-hmm. th- to me, these are two sides of the same coin. You can't separate them or you, you don't really have a coin, you know, like you, yeah. you can't, you can't, uh, it's like two blades of scissors. They got to work together. And, and Jackie said, she said, our works don't earn our salvation, but they do demonstrate our salvation. So we, we do demonstrate God's love to the world, but there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, love us less, you know? And I, I think that's what becomes really important is that we, we carry God's love into the world by the way that we love other people. And, uh, you know, as scripture says, who can say that they've seen God, but if we love one another, you know, God is with us. And, and I think that's how we make God's love um, manifest to the world is through the way that we, we love one another. Um, but that, that becomes really important because you don't want to do it either because it's out of guilt um, or we don't want to go to hell or whatever. I think those are terrible motivations. I think that the reason we do it, we, we love because, you know, God first loved us. We love because we're responding to grace and that makes us more gracious to mm-hmm. the world around us, hopefully. Um, but but I think we can't get so struck with what we do because the scriptures in Corinthians, there's that wonderful passage that says, we can have faith to, to move mountains and speak in the tongues of men and of angels. We can do all sorts of miracles and prophecies. We can even sell everything we have and give it to the poor. But if we don't have love, it's still empty. And and that's where I think it's so important that the call is to love and to be loved, you know, and it's, it's not about... Um, uh, the, the, you know, all these requirements or, you know, wanting to earn our way to heaven or something like that. You know, I, I think we just, we, we love because we've, we've tasted love and it makes us more loving people to, in, in the world around us. Uh, uh, but, but it's always to point towards God, you know, and, yep. and, and that's where, uh, I think, uh, I love Rich Mullins. He's not uh, maybe as well known in the Catholic world, oh. but he, he, hopefully he's becoming more and more well known. You know, Rich. He is. Oh yeah. I mean, we so we were kind of obsessed with him in yeah. college. Well, he's a good one to be obsessed. <laughs> him with. and Derek Webb. Yeah. So Rich, I mean, one of the things about him was he was very in touch with his own brokenness, you know, and 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 that made him all the more thankful for God's grace. And I can remember Rich, uh, we were together for a while before he died. He was, you know, he died in a terrible car yeah. accident. Um, mm-hmm. But before he died, I remember him uh, 
and saying, you know, we, we should, uh, uh, th there's the old story in the scripture where God speaks to a guy named Balaam through his donkey, you know, and Rich used to say, God spoke to Balaam through his ass and God's been speaking through asses ever since, you know? And so, yeah. so what we can learn from that is like, if God uses us, then thanks be to God, but we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, you know? And if when we meet someone else, we think God could never use this person, uh, we should think twice because, you know, God spoke to Balaam through his, his donkey. So yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great image, and I, but, but I think it's also an invitation to allow ourselves to be instruments of God's love and grace that we mm -hmm. might say with Paul, you know, the, the life I live, I no longer live, but Jesus lives inside of me, that that's our prayers, that we would actually live out God's love and become the hands and feet of Christ to the world. And it's really interesting how that, when you are doing that, you are able to experience God in profound ways. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. like I've never been amongst the poor and or when what I'm doing any um, any type of ministry, I've never gone. Oh, I don't know if oh, there's a God, you know, it's only when I'm like in my nice car. My car isn't all that nice, but I work <laughs> for the church, uh, you know, but like when I am comfortable, that's when it's harder to, you know, that's when, you know, um, it's a little bit harder to be like, yeah, is there like really a, a God, you know? And then when you're out there with the poor, when you're like kind of, it's, it's like almost like you're able to experience the world for as it is. Sure. Well, it's, it's, it's much more natural. You know, I think that's why Jesus says, consider the lilies and the sparrows, you know, they, they live with this kind of winsome freedom and they don't worry about what they're going to wear or, you know, what they're, but God takes care of those and yeah. how much more God will take care of us. But I think we rarely, uh, uh, find ourselves in that uh, liminal space where we're that dependent on God. You know, we like to hide behind stuff. You know, the more stuff we have, the more we have to hide behind. And we can end up separating, you know, not only ourselves from the poor or from the suffering of the world, but we also find ourselves separated from God. And, you know, there's, there's no coincidence, I think, that, that that's why Jesus has such stern warnings about riches. And, you know, uh, it's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom because we, 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 we really end up uh, kind of walling ourselves in behind all of this stuff that uh, we think our meaning or our worth or even our uh, sustenance or providence for tomorrow is in our own hands, and that's a dangerous place to live. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then you're um, a community. You guys um, have a pretty dynamic, um, would you guys call it like um, – monastic like law or like a rule or, or like how do you phrase it like in terms of like you know how you live your life and uh, and uh, what does that actually look like well it's evolved over the years we started the community here at the simple way we uh, it was me and a bunch of my college friends uh who were inspired by these homeless moms we pulled our and we were also inspired by the early church when we look in the book of acts and it says all of them were together they shared everything they had no one claimed any of their possessions were their own and then it says, and there were no needy persons among them. So this radical sharing where in Acts it says, you know, they put the offerings at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to folks as they had need. Uh, that's kind of what we started. And we, we uh, many of us worked part-time jobs and we pulled our money together. We bought a house. We kind of began to grow this organization as an intentional community. Um, and, and then, you know, 20 years or 15 years later now, 
that intentional community is a little bit more of a village. You know, we've got uh, about a dozen properties, houses and gardens and murals and everything, you know, on the same block. We still have ways that we share together. um, And it's also bigger than, you know, me and college friends. It's actually indigenous neighbors, you know, folks that have lived in this neighborhood longer than I have, folks that are formerly homeless, people that are, you know, in recovery from drug addiction. And we're all building community together. And and, uh, about 10 years ago, we tried to identify um, some of the foundation for that. What are the beliefs and the practices that we share in common? So we, you know, we created a statement of faith, um, but also a statement of our practices, you know, a commitment to nonviolence, uh, to simplicity, to caring for creation, to racial justice and racial reconciliation, those things. So those are all, I guess you'd say that kind of the DNA of who we are. And we, we ended up calling that 12 marks of a new monasticism. Uh, because what a lot of people saw is these intentional communities and these renewals that we see in the church, they um, aren't anything brand new. They're a fresh expression of something really old. You know, and you mm-hmm. look at St. Francis and Claire in Assisi and so many other uh, monastic orders. And what they did was they they put these the, the, the belief and practice back together again, you know, to where Christianity was about our beliefs and our love for God and our belief that Jesus, you know, died and rose again for our sins and to heal the world. And, uh, and, and yet that also translates into some real, um, life transformation, you know, it has teeth on it. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's where we tried to articulate some of those things. So we've, we've, you know, I've written quite a bit about that and, um, in, in some of my books, but the, the, yeah, it's, it's really uh, about trying to build a neighborhood that we're proud of together. And now we see kind of a larger movement of other intentional communities, other uh, neighborhoods doing similar things. So, you know, we're, we're thankful to God for all, there's all kinds of wonderful things happening, you know, all over the country and the world. So we're uh, thrilled to be one little speck of that here in Kensington, North Philadelphia. That is awesome. I, I just, I love hearing that. It's it's just so inspiring. Um, as a kid, I grew up. This is probably not like blow your mind a bit, but I grew up in a Catholic charismatic a community. Oh yeah, man. So sure. yeah, like I'm. I mean, I, I'm used like uh, to me being around a whole bunch of people speaking um, speaking in tongues is kind of like as you know like every day as apple pie <laughs> it's really like it's always a little bit rare like what you did what and I'm like, again yeah, it was catholic um and it was just i mean growing up in that the community i mean me it's just uh, like i have my job because of my uh, connections to that a uh, community and yeah. i grew up and i was a part of a youth group that was a huge part of my uh, conversion because of and it was it was people who were involved in that uh, that uh, community two of my best friends I've known my whole life because of that, because of that uh, community. But on the other side of that was some pretty dark and crazy stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, A lot of power control or just, you know, trying to be like telling you how to live your life. My dad, um, he was kicked out like five times, you know, like really like, uh, just a little bit like stuff where, you know, like really great stuff that at times went a bit too far. How do you prevent that from happening within your own a community? Well, part of what we always have to have, I think, in, is is a is a connection to the rest of the church, you know. And I think when we end up isolated, not that that's the the case for for you, but you know, I think when we end up as these islands in ourselves, we uh, don't have the kind of 
roots that we need or the accountability, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and, and so uh, there's a lot of, uh, communities that end up like Jesus talked about the, the seed that falls to the ground and it's, it sprouts and is beautiful, but it dies quickly because it doesn't have any roots, you know? And I, I think that's part of, um, uh, what we've tried to do is we, we've not said that we're a church community on our own. We're, we're starting a community that's connected to the rest of the church. So we have always tried to go to neighborhood congregations, uh, to mass around the corner, you know, to, I, I have a little bit of the Catholic and a little bit of the charismatic and, uh, inside of me too, you know, so we, we, uh, we often go to mass on Sunday mornings, but we also have a, uh, a charismatic congregation we're a part of in the evenings, you know, and a part of the Anabaptist tradition. And so I love that, you know, I love, I love finding the, the fingerprints of the spirit, you know, on all these, these different uh, movements. Um, yeah. uh, and, and so I, I think part of what we are able to do is unashamedly say, this is who we are as a community. So having things that we believe that are explicit, things that we uh, the ways that we try to live that are, you know, also explicit that that helps because it says this is what our foundation is. Um, but then, you know, we're not trying to be the church without the rest of the church. And that's that's one of the Protestant mistakes, I think, is jumping ship, you know, from mm-hmm. the rest of the body and thinking that we're going to do church better than anyone's ever done it. Or the movement right now, which is really to be spiritual, but not religious, religious. you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I am... Um, uh, very, um, I understand the sentiment of it, but I also think that it's, uh, that, that, that's another thing that we, we don't have to divorce from each other. I think that we can be spiritual and religious. We can, um, be the church and go to church. You know, we can, we can end up, uh, um, uh, seeing that as the early Christians said, we can't have God as our father without seeing the church as our mother, that we, we actually are coming from, this this larger body that you know arguably is a dysfunctional family you know like it, I mean we've got the, uh, uh, the the it was I think uh, contributed to Augustine that said the church is a whore but she's my mother you know <laughs> yeah um, and and so what we can do is we can pray for and work for her healing and that's what happened for us was we. There, there came a time, I mean, here we are in an abandoned cathedral and the archdiocese is kicking homeless families out. I mean, it didn't look good. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was a sad moment. Yeah. Um, but we said, we're going to start. We're going to stop complaining about the church that we've experienced and work on becoming the church that we dream of. You know, like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. And we really felt the call to be the change we want to see in the church. And that's meant not disengaging, but actually reengaging, mm-hmm. you know, really uh and, and I've been mentored by Catholic monks and nuns who are some of the most radical people I've ever met. You know, in fact, even as the archdiocese was evicting the families, there were uh, religious uh, nuns and, and uh, priests that were they, they went to the archdiocese and they uh, performed an exorcism uh, in the building to pray for a cleansing of the spirits oh, uh, and the principalities and powers that were at work in all of this. I mean, and literally some of them were arrested. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was, it yeah. was awesome because they went to trial and the judge was like, wait, uh, this is the Catholic <laughs> the church. church bringing your own religious like uh, <laughs> folks. To, uh. And, and he, he said, you guys got to work this out. But he sentenced my friends to write a theological dis, uh, uh, a position paper on why they uh, were arrested and, and how they justify it theologically. And I thought, 
<laughs> that's great, you know. But I, I love it because I look at St. Francis and I'm inspired by what he saw was these, you know, I mean, he lived in a time where materialism, mater- militarism, you know, the, the holy wars had um, totally um, uh, uh, corrupted, you know, the Christianity of his time. But the whisper he heard from God was, repair the church, which is in ruins, you know, and he actually, uh, th- that Franciscan renewal happened within the church. And so I think that's part of what we think of uh, resurrection, part of what we think of uh, the work that we're to do is to continually heal uh, this broken body of Christ that we call the church. Oh, yeah. And, and that's actually um, one of the things that um, that when the Catholic Church would always, because like you had these charismatic, um, I guess these charismatic communities popping up all, all over the country. This was back in the seventies and in the eighties, and um, the goal. And I think where a lot of them like went wrong was they did not adhere to the church. They kind of like I think at times, and I could be wrong about this. This is just kind of like my own opinion as a person who uh, who grew up in that it was that it kind of saw itself as well we're going to do our own thing on the side here if you aren't if you aren't i'm going to give us what we want we're going to do this little thing here and that's not a bad thing but it's gotta it it should be all it it should be a um, means to an end as opposed to you know and, and ultimately should lead you back to christ and his church you know yeah well the 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 what I think we see, too, is that there's a lot that's worth protesting in the Catholic Church. And I still have, a, 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 you know, a Protestant background and half the word Protestant is protest. Um, but sometimes we aren't Catholic enough, like the founders of many of the, you know, reformations and renewals and Protestant denominations. Like we've forgotten uh, our connection and sometimes we live as if uh the church was only a couple hundred years old, you know, and and I, I think I think what we've got to do is is some of my Protestant and evangelical friends, we need to be a little bit more Catholic, you know. We need to appreciate mm-hmm. uh, the 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 bigger church that we come out of. Um, in the same light, I think that there's a lot of Catholics that need a little bit more of the protest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, but when that works most powerfully is when we are able to identify with one another as a family and we're able to work for the best and, and celebrate the ways that we've seen God work in these different places. So um, Jesus's longest prayer in John is that we would be one as God is one, you know, and, and yet as we look at the church, sometimes what we've seen is this continual schisms that now have ended up, we have over, there's over 35,000 Christian denominations 35,000. That's nuts. And so, you know, we, we, we learned that as we created this uh, book of prayer um, called Common Prayer. And we, we created that with Catholics and Protestants, Anabaptists and Pentecostals, you know, all kind of working together. And we're trying to celebrate where we've seen God at work, you know, in the Orthodox Church, where we've seen God at work in the, you know, uh, African-American church and the, the spirituals mm-hmm. and the civil rights movement. So that's... Uh, that's part of what I think we can do is see, like, seek that unity that Jesus prayed for, um, and and that means celebrating where we see our own shortcomings within our tradition and where we might affirm 
the Spirit's work in others. And then there's some places where we've just absolutely started denominations because we've been on the wrong side of history, you know, and we, yeah. we've started some denominations because uh, we were using the Bible to justify slavery and things like that, you know, and so we think that calls for a real repentance and, and healing from those histories if we're going to tell the truth about them. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Shane, could I put you on hold for just a second? I actually unplugged my um, computer, and it's about to die, and I had to yeah. take a minute. I'm so <laughs> sorry about that. I'll oh. be right back. All right. We are good to go. Sorry oh, about that. No sweat. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's um, one of the things that... I mean, because, and again, there are some, gr- I mean, there isn't anyone at the archdiocese where I work that I, that I would say is like, oh my gosh, you are so horrible out, but you do, I mean, it's, I, I always feel, uh, kind of bad for a lot of people because you can just tell like this place has got to be under some type of intense spiritual attack because you see how the church can slide in, in uh, to maintenance mode and forget about its it's mission. Right. And we just try to, and we just try to maintain all of these things. And I think one of the things that I really don't like, and, and I have a lot of friends who uh, we've argued about this is that I don't like um, any type of hostility towards Protestants because um, I just don't like it, <laughs> you know, and, and because uh, to me it reeks of maintenance mode and it's not about like mission going out there trying to be Christ to others and bring Christ to us because of, because, because like we believe that the Eucharist actually is what it is, which is a, which is a body. And, um, and, and it, like, like it, it is Christ. It is on us to bring him to other people, to help them understand our point. Like, like why we believe that. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. That's why mother Teresa, I, I learned a lot about the Eucharist uh, and appreciation for, I mean, I, I learned so much about prayer and everything when I was in India and worked with Mother Teresa. And every morning wow. she, you know, she wanted to uh, the Eucharist. And one of the nuns, we, we were talking about that. And she said, uh, well, you know, you've heard the saying, we are what we eat. And she's like, that's what we're praying, you know, is every day that we would um, eat and drink the body and blood of Christ. And that would become the essence of what who we are. And every morning we prayed together in India uh, May every person I come in contact with feel the love of Jesus in my soul. You know, that's what we were praying is that we would become, you know, that kind of presence in the world. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And I think we've got a lot to learn from e- each other about uh, uh, the, the things that we, we um, uh, you know, feel, feel so strongly to be true. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, as I think about the Catholic Church, I am amazed though that like that there is so much good that can happen as we consider um some of these major obstacles like i'm writing a book on the death penalty right now mm-hmm. um uh and part of why i'm writing about the death penalty this book called executing grace is because it, the, the death penalty has succeeded in america not in spite of christians um but because of us in fact it, it's thrived in the places where Christian Christians are most concentrated, you know, the Bible Belt yeah. 
is the death belt. I mean, that's where it's happening, you know. And so, um, and, as, and and not to get, you know, not just to point to Texas where half the executions <laughs> come from, but you look at the Supreme Court, and I believe that six of the nine justices are Catholic, you know. Oh. And you go, if we, um, but but that's not to say this is bad. I think actually it's to say I want them to be Catholic. I want them to listen to the Pope. I want mm-hmm. them to look at the Catechism. I want them to look at Jesus and see. Uh, this compelling call to abolish the death penalty. So I don't think we need to be less religious. In fact, I want us to actually be uh, more religious in the sense of more um, uh, true to what our faith is calling us to, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem is that we have divorced uh, these things, you know, to where the Tennessee reinstated the electric chair during Holy Week on Maudie oh. Thursday, you know, like, and the only way that that kind of thing happens, I think, is is when we lose track of what the real call of Jesus is, you know, or we, we end up saying, well, that's what the government should do, but Christians should never do that. You know, we're to love and forgive. And I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of dangerous theology that we, we've got to unpack. And, and, and the answer to, you know, I, I think the answer to bad theology is not no theology, but it's good theology. And, and that's why I'm writing a book about the death penalty. You know, it's also why I think, like, part of the problem in the church is that, some of the loudest voices for Christianity haven't always been the most beautiful. And some of the very beautiful voices have been very quiet, you know. So I, I, I don't think we need to outshout the, the folks that are holding signs that say God hates fags, you know, or, or mm-hmm. really sick things, burning the yeah. crop and things like that. But I think what we can do is sing a better song, you know, and have stories of love and grace and compassion and radical peacemaking and intervention that ends up, uh, becoming a part of the witness of Christianity to the world that we live in. And that's what so many of the saints have been. You know, they've been these exemplary models of love to the world. Or as Frederick Beekner said, you know, it's every saint is just God dropping a handkerchief to earth to leave God sent in the world. So that's a, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, that is so, yeah. It's, you know, it's really interesting because in the Catholic Church, you, you um, the, I would say probably one of the most argued topics amongst practicing Catholics would be Vatican II. Uh-huh. Because you have all, you have all of, like, it's, um, the church, like, acts in terms, like, centuries, like, they think two to three hundred years out, and they are responding, and they are responding to things that happened two to three hundred, like, years ago, being the Enlightenment, which I think is what this one was ultimately a response to and we're in this weird transition right now that's probably going to take about 100 years and we're you know halfway done with it yeah and it's interesting when you know when uh, when i hear you talk about that there's like like you know like me so i went to college out in out in steubenville ohio um at franciscan university out there. I don't know if you've really heard of it or not, but it's a pretty dynamic Catholic school. It's, you know, uh, 2,200 or like, you know, eight, like 18 to 22 year olds who are just in love with Christ and his church and like wanting to like live out other faith. And, and at times you feel like you are the only one like trying to keep to, uh, keep things going and it can be like a like a little bit hard because you just like you just hit like maintenance mode again and again and again and it's interesting how like people like you were they were they were they were extremely popular with like me and 
all my buddies because uh, we like wanted to just like learn anything that we could about how do we live this out right now. Mm-hmm. And so this is like a long, this is a really long way to ask, like, how do we take all the stuff that you are talking about? And if I'm at a church that has 21,000 people, how do I live that out in my everyday life? Wow. Well, first of all, I, I think it's, it, we, we, we've got to realize that we're, we're this work in progress, you know, as the scripture says, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm, I'm still doing that myself, <laughs> you know, but a couple of things I think we can do are that we uh, can look to other people who can inspire us, you know. So like, like I, I said, this kind of prophetic peer pressure that we, we, can, we can cultivate by surrounding ourselves with people who look like the kind of person that we want to become, you know, and, and then and they rub off on us. So I think that's what, what uh, community is about. And so if we, we, we can, I think we've got to live our, our life out in the context of community. Um, and we've got to grow deeper in proximity to those who are suffering, which is tricky because everything in our world moves us away from suffering, away from neighborhoods where there's high crime or there's people that don't look like us or whatever. And I think we've got to put ourselves in a position uh, where we encounter suffering. Uh, and you, you, uh, um, you, you know, the, the story of the Good Samaritan would have never happened if people weren't walking down a road where people get beat up. And they just notice the pain. They notice the suffering. So I think proximity to the pain and the suffering is is a important call for all of us. Otherwise, it's very easy to kind of have a detached spirituality that doesn't connect to the suffering and injustices of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to talk about that, you know, because Mother Teresa said it can be very fashionable to talk about the poor, but not as fashionable to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so our, our call is really to be there. But then, you know, sometimes I think we've got to like, uh, do everything all at once. And, 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 and you know, Mother Teresa is another great example where she said, they, someone asked her, how do you end up lifting 50,000 people off the streets? And she said, uh, I started with one. And, and so I think part of what we can do is to love one person well. We can develop a relationship with, with one person or visit someone in prison or accompany, uh, you know, a kid that's got special needs or whatever. You know, I think there's a lot of ways that we can do that uh, where you realize that the world changes when enough people are doing small things with great love, you know, and, and that that's happening all over the place. And we're a part of this contagion of love and grace, uh, in the world. Um, and, and, uh, so I also find it very important to be, uh, mentored by older folks like my friend, sister, Margaret McKenna, who she's a, uh, medical mission sister. And she's one of the most radical folks I know. She, she, we've gone to jail together. We've, you know, she lives in community with 50 people that are recovering from drug and alcohol addictions. And she lives in the middle of the, in the heart of the inner city here in Philly. And one of the things she says is she started out as a desert, uh, you, you know, from the desert spirituality, the Carmelites and others, you know, and she actually lived in the desert for a while. But then she said, I began to realize that our call is into the world. We're, we're called to the inner city because this is the contemporary desert. This is where we practice resurrection. This is where we form a new society in the shell of the old one. And so I think we need some people like that around. Um, so then when my, my uh, friends say, you know, the radical Christianity, that's a great phase, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, living in intentional community. I did that for a few years. You know, I'm like, man, you need to meet Sister Margaret because she's been in the phase for about 50 years. 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and what happened to us is when we started our community, we had folks like these wonderful Benedictines and others that came and they said, we love what's happening. And they said, we want you to know that we're around the corner here. You know, if you ever want to talk, we've uh, learned a few things. We've been doing community for about 1600 years, <laughs> yeah. you know, so uh, what a gift to be able to learn yeah. from, from each other. That is really cool. Is there so... Um, I actually asked my buddy, like Brian, um, he's a, just like a huge fan of yours. And, uh, he asked me to ask you this question. Um, is there anything that you like ever since you made the a decision to live this type of a radical life? Is there anything that you uh, regret or that uh, you miss? I don't live with much regret. There's there's plenty of mistakes we would made you made, that we've made, you know. And you look back and you go, "Wow, I would I would sure do that differently." Um, mm-hmm. But but um, um, you know, if I was looking back 20 years ago and telling myself a few things, I mean, one of the things I would say is that we have to keep Jesus in the very center of everything that we do, and we've we've really. Um, created more of a life of prayer and the centrality of Jesus and in, in everything that we do as we've gone along. But we started out as activists, you know, and had anarchists and all kinds of like social justice people. And at the end of the day, I, I, I think it was a uh, oh, old uh, Father John Deere that was asked, you know, how did you, how have you managed to do this work for so many years? And he said, every morning I crawl into a little ball and I listen to Jesus whisper to me how much he loves me. And that gives me the energy, you know, to do that. And I think that that's part of the intimacy with with God and with Jesus that we need. You know, Mother Teresa called Jesus her spouse. And so I think that love, that just genuine, authentic love with God is a love relationship that has to be kindled and cared for, you know, and so spending time with God. And it's easy to just get kind of drawn into the activist uh, side of what we do. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also funny to me when people tell me, uh, you know, well, Catholics, they don't believe in a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm like... Yeah, Mother Teresa called Jesus her spouse <laughs> yeah. and, and her lover. You know, it doesn't get much more personal than that. Yeah, you know? but but so I I think that's a part of it, and uh, and and being a part of a congregation too. You know, a lot there's a lot of emerging church or new communities that start and they end up kind of trying to be the church without the church. So I think it's that's it's really important to see this as a renewal within the church and to be a part of local congregations. You know, and 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 the parishes around us. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have too many regrets. I, th- I think there's there's lots of stuff that we 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 just keep learning, and that's that's part of the journey, you know, is figuring out. Wow, this uh, that didn't work, you know, or this mm-hmm. is different now than it was ten years ago. And the gift of community is it's alive, you know, and just like a person, uh, you look a little different five years or ten years later than you did back then. But it's uh, uh, you know, hopefully the same uh, um, uh, living kind of organism that we continue to see um, evolve and. Uh, yeah, man. So it's it's great to uh, to talk, and you can keep us in your prayers. Is we we just celebrated 18 years this week of uh, oh, that's cool life here at the Simple Way. So uh, we'll congratulations. Pray. Yeah, man. We'll pray for 18 more and 18 more and 18 more. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. This has been incredible. Thank you, Shane. I really do appreciate it. Is there anything that you, that you don't like plug at all or like oh, any no, books or anything? Not no. good. Uh, I, I'm glad to talk with you, man, and um, you keep going. And I, I think we we need some charismatic Catholics out there. <laughs> and I, uh, if you're in Philly, you come see us. All right, man. I will absolutely. Blessings.